Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place in the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves, where we usually kick things off by drilling into that thing that the trucking industry needs that we get from drilling, and that's oil. But today we're taping this a little bit far in advance due to some other obligations. And in the world of oil, you get a bit behind and the whole world can change. So I didn't want to tape anything right away or too too far in advance that you know, six, seven days later would have sounded completely out of out of it. So we're just going to go right straight to this week's guest on Drilling Deep. And that guest is Brian Thompson. He is the chief commercial officer of SMC3. We're going to talk about the LTL side of the business because that is where SM3 specializes, SMC3 specializes. So Brian, welcome to Drilling Deep. And I was going to try to put together a quick summary of your company, but quite frankly, I felt, you know, it's a little bit complex and I thought you could probably do a better job than I can. So why don't you go ahead? Well, thank you, John. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. So SMC3 is uh, actually a trade association that serves the less than truckload industry. So we've been around for 85 years now. And I mean, our mission is basically to educate uh, the industry stakeholders as well as um, just basically connecting all of the parties uh, that participate in less than truckload from the carrier side. We've got tremendous carrier relationships uh, to, uh, to the shippers, third party logistics companies. And we've got tremendous alliance partnerships with uh, technology companies, the transportation management system uh, providers, uh, et cetera, within the within the industry. So. Just uh, usually I get this one question, so I'll just preempt it with an answer. The question is, what does the three in SMC3 stand for? And the answer is data, technology, and education. So SMC3 started as a, as a data company, um, really around um, the pricing uh, data um, back way back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Um, we supported carriers. And then as technology evolved, uh, we evolved uh, our delivery of that data um, through advancing technology. And then additionally, we layer on the top of that education. So LTL tends to be one of the more complex modes of transportation. Um, it is it is complex in a lot of ways. We try to work to simplify it um, for anyone uh, trying to partake in the industry. Um, and we do that partly through, certainly through education. We run a couple of events each year. Uh, we have our Jumpstart Conference in January and our Connections Conference in June. Um, and additionally, we also um, have some online uh, educational programs to help folks that, um, you know, maybe want to learn a little bit more about LTL, are a little uncertain. Uh, LTL tends to be smaller than than some of the other modes, certainly it was smaller than parcel and, and truckload and um, so, you know, there are a lot of individuals out there that aren't quite as familiar or comfortable with LTL, and we try to help fill that gap. Well, I'm relatively new to trucking, so I've been trying to learn LTL. My, my colleague, Zach Strickland, who came out of the LTL side, has been a great help. But, you know, the, the question was somebody posed to me when I, he was trying to educate me was, what would you rather carry, 500 pounds of rocks or 500 pounds of feathers? And that question, that question really did open my eyes to the way pricing was set. But let's talk a little bit about pricing. And SMC3 does kind of provide kind of the base, I don't know what you'd call it, pricing table, pricing structure that the industry kind of tees off of. So I'm probably not uh, describing it as best as you could. So can you talk about that a little bit? 
Sure, right. So we are uh, kind of known as the Czar Light people, <laughs> and uh, Czar Light is uh, is the name of our uh, industry neutral rate base. So LTL pricing is you know, the foundation of it is you got to have a starting point for rates. Um, so in the industry, uh, there are you know base rates that have been created that cover five-digit zip to five-digit zip across the United States and even cross-border into Canada. Um, each carrier has their own rate base, but, but a lot of shippers find advantage uh, to choosing one central base rate um, that's neutral, that's not slanted towards any individual carrier's network or cost structure because each carrier controls their own, their own base rate. But, uh, but a shipper can engage um, us and utilize Zarlite, uh, and then ask all of their carriers to uh, offer pricing programs using Zarlite as that base, um, and then the carriers will offer offer discounts um, off you know off of the base rate by offer discounts by lane, by weight, um, by classification, etc. So um, yeah, that's how we that's what we're most known for is Zarlite. And uh, and that's really kind of how we got our start was uh, back in the 1980s. We created Zarlite and it's it's grown. And, and now, you know, it's the predominance of LTL shipments are priced and rated on our on our base rate. Now, one of the things that you know, happened in the first quarter earnings calls uh, and just not not just there, but other places is that a lot of people said, you know, when they look at the truckload industry, the rate wars after that after that crazy March, early April spike had gotten very, very aggressive. And we see that in some of the rates. They maybe have turned up a little bit, but they sunk pretty low. And one of the things that you kept hearing was it's not happening in LTL because of the discipline. Now, we know that the number of LTL companies out there are significantly smaller than truckload the barriers to entry to LTL are a lot higher than they are for truckload. What do you attest that discipline to? Well, uh, there are a couple of factors that are playing into that that discipline. Uh, number one, I think um, LTL carriers learned their lesson from the from the Great Recession back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Right? Nobody nobody wins. There, number one, there are fewer players in LTL than there are in truckload. It's not quite as fragmented as of a market. So if you look at the top uh, top fifteen carriers, you probably have you know eighty five percent of the industry revenue covered. So you've got fewer players, um, so it's less fragmented, uh, and so that enables additional additional discipline. Um, nobody nobody they've learned that nobody wins when prices start dropping, um, and part of this is gets to my other point the other factor of the price rationality. So in truckload, where you've got, you know, 50-50, 60-40 split between contractual rates and spot rates, you have 95% of LTL shipments move on negotiated rates and, and rate programs. Some are formal contracts, some are, some are not, but that's not important. What's important is that the predominance of rates in LTL are only altered on an annual basis. So it takes a full 12 months for rates to be fully adjusted. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't have a price war and carriers go out and suddenly offer deep discounts. That certainly has happened in the past. But barring that, the rate of change of prices in LTL is slower than it is in, in truckload in particular. So 
um, you know, that definitely helps with the price rationality. But the, the biggest reason is that the LTL carriers know that nobody wins um, when, when prices get cut. Um, it takes a long time after they cut rates to, to adjust them upwards again. They've worked hard um, over the past, uh, you know, over the past 10 years to be in, uh, be on much, much stronger financial footing. And they really have come a long way. Um, interestingly, um, you know, one reason why the, why the LTL carriers are in a, in a fairly strong financial position going into COVID-19 is, is, and the pandemic is because of the growth of e-commerce. And uh, back in the early 2000s, the big thing with the retailers was I want, I want to centralize um, and these large, large warehouses um, and minimize my inventory. But because they were centralizing into a few large warehouses, they were using truckload to replenish. And once uh, Amazon took over and really pushed for next day delivery, uh, smaller regional warehouses really became much, much more uh, popular and in favor so that you could quickly distribute the end product when an order came in. And that led to more pallet sized orders, which leads to more LTL uh, shipments. And it's been a steady, modest growth. So it's been controlled, um, you know, at least right up until uh, until COVID-19. And obviously, LTL carriers are as impacted as anybody um, during the during the pandemic and with the shutdown of, of businesses. OK, I want to jump back to first of all, can you spell Czar Light for our audience? I've got a vision of it in my head, but how does it how do you spell it? Sure, it is C Z A R, as in Czar, and then Light L I T E. Okay, um, and yeah, and people can come to uh, www.smc3.com and and learn all about it. Is it is this the kind of thing that has, has ever had any antitrust issues, any concerns? I mean, it, it seems to me a third party setting a rate base that then people key off of is the kind of thing that I can imagine some antitrust lawyer or some lawyer saying, you know, don't do this, don't get involved. Obviously, that hasn't happened in the industry. It's being widely used. But has right. it ever had any antitrust problems? Um, yeah, not, in, not in recent history. Um, it, it's gone through it's gone through review and audit. And the thing with LTL is, uh, you know, LTL discounts are uh, it just it's a base. It's not the final price. Um, the carriers are not involved in any way, shape, or form with setting that price, um, so it, it really, uh, really avoids uh, a lot of antitrust uh, scrutiny because it really is just a starting point. And then the carriers layer on complex discount programs. Uh, carriers can offer discounts by by five digit zip location, um, and you know so. Really, uh, there really isn't a, a lot of uh, antitrust concern with with having a, a single starting point um, uh, base rate. Yeah, as you're describing it, what I'm re reminded of is world scale. Are you familiar with world scale in the shipping industry? The um, world, yeah. Well, the World Scale Association does something very similar. I'm, I'm sure it's obviously online now, but I remember the world scale book that came out every year. And you said, you know, you had all these in Zarlite, you have all of these uh, zip code to zip code base rates and everybody works off it in the world scale. They have all these port to port base rates. And then people say, you know, well, okay, I'm going to trade this tanker at world scale 130. So it's the same, same basic idea. Mm -hmm. So yep, anyway, sounds very, very similar. So I, we're going to move on. We're going to move back toward your, uh, your e-commerce analogy or e-commerce e discussion. I'm going to ask you a true or false question. First, the fate of LTL companies is tied far more 
to the industrial activity of the U.S. than the truckload sector is. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> um, more than that. Yeah, that, that, that the industrial activities, uh, manufacturing, that sort of thing, you know, capital expenditures have a greater impact on LTL than it does on truckload. That's kind of what I've always come to know. Would you agree with that? I would. I would to, to a degree, to a degree. I, I don't want to, you know, underestimate the, the linkage and connection between LTL and, and truckload. You know, they're not 100% connected, but one dynamic that we definitely see is like when truckload capacity is because so truckload, the truckload market is 10 times the LTL market. When truckload gets tight, it drives more volume into LTL. It's more heavyweight shipments. You know, those uh, those 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 pound shipments start to become look, start to look a little more attractive um, uh, price wise um, within within LTL. So those two sectors kind of blend and merge a little bit. Um, and likewise, when there's a lot of capacity within truckload, uh, some of the heavyweight LTL shipments start moving back to back to truckload and uh, shippers start consolidating large shipments and asking truckload carriers to do multi, multi-stop moves and those kind of things. So the two are, are really definitely um, still still connected. But, you know, so your statement is is true to a, to a degree, I would say. You know, it's interesting you say you, you, you said it starts to look more attractive at high rates because I remember sitting on some earnings calls in 2018 of some LTL carriers and analysts were asking the question, uh, how much spillover did you see uh, did you see from truckload? And the assumption in the question, and not just the assumption, but in some case it was laid out there, was this is not a good thing for the LTL economics. What I'm hearing from you is that maybe sometimes it's not all that bad. I always had a tough time wrapping my head around why it wouldn't be good. So if you do get spillover from truckload, which let's face it, it's not certainly not going on right now to any great degree, mm-hmm. why would that be a problem for an LTL carrier? The only... The only time is a pro- I, I don't believe it is a problem for an LTL carrier. It it does play with the numbers a little bit and um, and and you know gets them a little bit out of whack from what uh, some of the analysts typically like to look at. But if an LTL carrier has neg- has managed their LTL pricing programs well, it's it's not a problem at all. And really, by well, I mean make sure that they are taking into account. Um, some of those peripheral areas, the high weight shipments. So typically LTL, right, is defined as 150 pounds to up to, you know, 10,000 pounds. Um, but anything, anything heavier than that, if the LTL carrier isn't careful with their, with their discounts, they can find themselves offering overly deep rates for heavyweight shipments. But if they, if they take care and, and negotiate their programs, um, wisely, then then there really is limited risk to that. And additional volume, I would argue, always helps LTL carriers. The, the thing is, right, I mean, in LTL, they, they're used to, I want, I want dock-to-dock moves. I want to move, you know, two to four pallets, two to eight pallets, and then be off to the next stop. I'm measuring operational metrics are how many stops per, per minute uh, or how many minutes per stop, um, how efficient can I be. Um, and so, yeah, it plays uh, for those operational minded people. Heavyweight shipments does uh, play a factor um, in what those number, how those numbers appear. But really, the number that matters is is profit. And it doesn't matter if you you know, if I if I take 
four hours to make a, a large full delivery, or maybe that's a bit excessive, but um, two hours to make a delivery. But I got paid enough to cover my variable cost of the driver and the fuel and the tires and the maintenance and the truck then and, and additional profit. Then I don't care if I delivered one shipment that day or 18 shipments that day. What matters is that I make money. Um, so one of our, one of our products uh, at SMC3 is we help carriers with uh, with the costing model, and that's what that's what the pricing teams are using to set those rates. Is they're they're concerned with what is my cost going to be, and then make sure my revenue more than compensates my cost, plus gives me a return that I can reinvest in in the business. So um, you know it does play. When the truckload uh, freight slides into LTL, it plays with the with the revenue per hundredweight figures, with the operational efficiency figures. Um, but at the end of the day, the number we really should care about is whether or not the carrier is making making sufficient earning the return on the work that they're doing. Yeah, well, as you as you said, and as my colleague Zach Strickland always says, LTL is really complicated. So anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, on your on your blog uh, on the uh, SM, uh, SMC3 site, you've got a piece there fairly recent about capacity squeeze at the end of the year. I don't know that I've talked to anybody in trucking who doesn't see a capacity squeeze at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it'll be both in truckload and LTL? And how severe do you do you think it's going to get? Well, I, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> Nobody does. Um, you just look at the trends as they're developing and, and try to make your best assessment of, you know, if we keep continue on this on this path uh, of continued economic uh, recovery, uh, if the uh, if the unemployment numbers, uh, you know, continue to improve, if the big question I think on everyone's mind really is kind of, um, you know, what's going to happen with the when the government funding kind of runs out, that's supporting some of these smaller businesses. But um, you know, we're seeing that there's been some there's some pent up demand. We're seeing some sectors like the auto industry, which by the way is huge for LTL, uh, well and truckload, but LTL as uh, you got the parts suppliers moving uh, moving those parts to the manufacturing facilities uh, just in time, and um, the auto numbers are looking stronger, uh, and uh, folks aren't really taking mass aren't interested in taking mass transit. Some are moving, saying they can work remote. So they're moving out of the city and looking at homes in the suburbs and they need cars to get around now because they don't want to take the subway where somebody might be ill, those kind of things. So, um, you know, there's just so many factors out there. You know, the purpose, the, the, the point I made with that, with that blog is, you know, we mentioned e-commerce and e-commerce, the, the rise of e-commerce has really um, helped to uh, give, uh, drive some volume into LTL. Um, because you have so many more smaller regional warehouses that need um, don't need a full truck to replenish. They need uh, they need a few pallets at a time. And then you layer on top of that, you know, the fact that there have been some uh, some truckload bankruptcies have happened. Um, if when the government money runs out, you see more truckload bankruptcies, that's going to squeeze the truckload capacity. And then you've got obviously, you know, back to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Christmas back to school, and then you've got the Christmas holidays. So there's still, you know, and as that economy continues to open up, while now, right now, the LTL figures through May have appeared to be, you know, down double digits. Um, that it that can continue to we expect it to continue to improve, and as truckload capacity, uh, available capacity goes down and the volumes rise, it's going to push 
large heavy freight into LTL. Um, it just there's nowhere else for it to go, um, and uh, and that can create some capacity challenges. Uh, but obviously, in the short term, there is capacity in LTL. It's just, but nobody sets rates based on where they what they think today. They base rates on what they think is going to happen six to twelve months down the road because that's the length of your length of your agreements. So. Um, you just have to look out and, and make your best guess. Now, with many months behind us, you're talking about capacity squeeze. How much impact did the closure of New England Motor Freight have on squeezing capacity and on LTL rates? Yeah, you know, that was uh, really a regional regional impact because they were pre- predominantly there in the uh, in the north northeast in the New England area. Um, so you definitely saw some carriers um, getting more phone calls from interested shippers. Uh, such as A. Dewey Pyle, uh, New Penn Motor Express, um, Saya uh, had just recently expanded up into the uh, into the Northeast, and their timing appears to have been almost impeccable. Nobody could have really predicted that that would have happened. So, but I'm sure that they saw some saw some benefit as well. But you know, because uh, because Saya was expanding into that area, um, you know, I think it created a little additional capacity. Plus that. Your traditional uh, national LTL carriers, your your FedEx and UPS Freight, YRC, um, uh, XPO Freight. I mean, these carriers, Old Dominion, they they have some. Uh, you know, they were able to across all of that subset. They were able to absorb um, the business that was made available by by New England Motor Freight. Um, uh, you know, there's been some modest upward pressure in rates over recent years anyway, just from the economic growth. Um, so, uh, you know, so I, I think it was pretty well absorbed and, and, uh, and those rate, that rate pressure continued, but we didn't, didn't see it necessarily spike. All right. Well, this leads to the obvious next question. What happens if YRC goes out? <laughs> well, uh, lots of people have predicted in the past that YRC would go out and, uh, and they're still here. They've got a strong experienced management team that's been through this and and they've got a lot of supporters was just reading an article today about how some of the uh, some of the large shippers are standing behind YRC and I know that I know you've got if you've got large shippers the government the union and and banks supporting YRC they can they can um, uh, you know make it they can they can be very persistent so I wouldn't predict anyone going out but you know, if if typically you don't see a closure coming, we didn't see the uh, New England Motor Freight closure coming. And um, you know, in the short term, if a if a if a large carrier uh, were to were to close their doors, um, I think in the short term there's some capacity out there right now to absorb it. The real question is long longer term. Um, you know, the industry needs the capacity. The industry uh, needs needs the providers. So they, the industry needs YRC to, to, um, to persist and carry on and, and continue to serve their customers in the, in the industry. So uh, I think we'll just have to have to kind of wait and see, but to your point earlier, you know, in LTL, the, um, there is a barrier to entry. Um, it's not easy for, uh, for another company to come in and start an L- a large LTL company. There's just, there's so much infrastructure that an investment that needs to happen to build it out. So the capacity you've got is the capacity you've got. Um, some of the uh, some of the smaller kind of home delivery shipments in the you know 100 to 250 pound range may you know may move to some specialty or parcel carriers, 
And some of those large shipments, if there's a capacity crunch in LTL, we'll certainly find homes on on some of the truckload uh, carriers' trucks, and they'll be doing multiple stops. Um, so some of those shipments on the periphery will be handled by by other uh, modes. And then the rest, it's up to the rest of the LTL industry to, um, you know, to be uh, ready, prepared, and, and have the resources to handle any additional uh, freight that's out there. But, uh, you know, I can tell you that the industry has gone through, it seems to me, so I entered the industry in 2000, and <clears throat> the rate with which market dynamics has changed, changes nowadays, seems to have just exploded. I just things seem to move a lot slower back in the early 2000s. And then with the advent of technology, uh, TMS providers, um, <clears throat> a lot, uh, really enabling shippers and logistics companies to, uh, to utilize uh, assets across multiple modes of transportation, uh, much more flexible supply chains, better connectivity to, to providers through EDI and API technologies and it just everyone's uh, just the ability to react to changes in, in capacity and market dynamics um, is swifter than it's ever been. Um, and this pandemic has really, uh, really tested everybody. Um, so, you know, nobody, like I said, just I guess bottom line, nobody knows the, um, uh, you know, if some carrier is going to go uh, leave the industry. But I do think that in the short term, the, the capacity is there. And then longer term, um, everybody is much better off if that capacity is is still in the market. Okay, I just want to mention one thing. You you, you talked about nobody saw New England Motor Freight coming. That's true. You know, YRC is a little different case because they're a publicly traded company. They've got to report every quarter. There are analysts that follow them. So, you know, their their drama has been played out very much publicly. I do want to go back to the Zarlite for, for one last question. Um, when do you start calculating how much those rates might go up or down the following year? I mean, theoretically, the, the discounts or premiums or whatever to the base rate should then just adjust uh, to reflect the market. But at the same time, I can't I have a tough time accepting that if a base rate goes up or down, that there might it, it, it might help to push the market up or down, at least in the short term. So, you know, what did the czar uh, rates tend to do uh, on average? For 2020 going out, coming out of 2019, and what would you maybe think is going to happen in 2021, or is it just too early? Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit early. Um, ordinarily, uh, so right now we are starting our analysis period. Um, we do take into account the economic trends, the health of the industry. Um, we try to stay um, fairly aligned with what other carriers publicly. Um, announce is, is how they're adjusting their rates. Um, uh, and with, with this pandemic, it really has thrown all of that, all of that into a little bit more question than what we've had in the past. Um, we do plan on a, uh, a rate adjustment in the September timeframe. We annually typically do it annually in September. And at this point, I don't see that that's going to be any different. We're going to, um, that, that is the, that is the plan right now. So, you know, and, and one important thing to note is yes, we, we adjust our rates annually. Um, it is common practice in the industry for shippers and carriers to agree to use a base rate from a prior year, in which case there wouldn't be an immediate impact from those rate adjustments, uh, to those, to those shippers. So, um, you know, there are some that do stay on the most current 
rate base um, and others that um, that say, you know what, if you adjust my rates, we're going to negotiate and you're going to adjust my discount um, instead of just changing my my base. So um, it's not like uh, we flip a switch and suddenly the pricing in the whole industry changes. Um, it is a gradual uh, process. As I said, things move typically move quite a bit slower in LTL uh, in the LTL pricing world than they do in say, uh, say truckload where spot rates are always on the move. Brian Thompson, the chief commercial officer of SMC3. That was a great discussion. I learned a lot about LTL. I hope our listeners did too. Please come back. All right. Thank you so much, John. So you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts. You can see us at FreightWaves.com and on all the major podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again.